Chapter 8. The City and the Mirror Prince Erkun was pleased. His plans went well. He peered through the high fence which enclosed the flat roof of his house, three stories high and the finest in Dorskam. He looked out towards the harbour at his splendid captured fleet. Every ship which had come to Dorskam and which had not flown the standard of a powerful nation had been easily taken after its crew had looked upon the great mirror which had squatted on its pillars above the city. Demons had built those pillars, and Prince Erkun had paid them for their work with the souls of all those in Oin and Yu who had resisted him. Now there was one last ambition to fulfil, and then he and his new followers would be on their way to Malnubane. He turned and spoke to his sister. Simmeril lay on a wooden bench, staring unseeingly at the sky, clad in the filthy tatters of the dress she had been wearing when Erkun abducted her from her tower. See our fleet, Simmeril. While the golden barges are scattered, we shall sail unhampered into Imrir and declare the city ours. Elric cannot defend himself against us now. He fell so easily into my trap. He's a fool, and you are a fool to give him your affection. Simmeril made no response. Through all the months she had been away, Urkun had drugged her food and drink and produced in her a lassitude which, which rivalled Elric's undrugged condition. Urkun's own experiments with his sorcerous powers had turned him gaunt, wild-eyed and somewhat mangy. He had ceased to take any pains with his physical appearance. But Simmeril had a wasted, haunted look to her, for all that beauty remained. It was as if Dozcalm's rundown seediness had infected them both in different ways. Fear not for your future, however, my sister, Urkun continued. He chuckled. You shall still be Empress and sit beside the Emperor on his ruby throne. Only I shall be Emperor, and Alric shall die for many days, and the manner of his death will be more inventive than anything he thought to do to me. Simmeril's voice was hollow and distant. Hollow and distant. She did not turn her head when she spoke. You are insane, Urkun. Insane? Come now, sister, is that a word that a true Melnibonean should use? We Melnibonaeans judge nothing sane or insane. What a man is, he is. What he does, he does. Perhaps you have stayed too long in the young kingdoms and its judgments are becoming yours. But that shall soon be righted. We shall return to the Dragon Island in triumph and you will forget all of this, just as if you yourself had looked into the mirror of memory. He darted a nervous glance upwards as if he half expected the mirror to be turned on him. Simmeril closed her eyes. Her breathing was heavy and very slow. She was bearing this nightmare with fortitude, certain that Elric must eventually rescue her from it. That hope was all that had stopped her from destroying herself. If the hope went in altogether, then she would bring about her own death and be done with her coon and all his horrors. Did I tell you last night that I was successful? I raised demons, Simmeril, such powerful dark demons. I learned from them all that was left for me to learn, and I opened the shade gate at last. Soon I shall pass through it, and there I shall find what I seek. I shall become the most powerful mortal on earth. Did I tell you all this, Simmeril? He had, in fact, repeated himself several times that morning, but Simmeril had paid no attention to him then, no more than she did now. 
She felt so tired. She tried to sleep. She said slowly as if to remind herself of something. I hate you, Erkun. Ah, but you will come to live... You shall... Ah, but you shall love me soon, Summerall. Soon. Alric will come. <laughs> Alric? <laughs> he sits twiddling his thumbs in his tower, waiting for news that will never come, save when I bring it to him. Alric will come, she said. Erkun snarled. A brute-faced, oinish girl brought him his morning wine. Erkun seized the cup and sipped the stuff. Then he spat it at the girl, who, trembling, ducked away. Erkun took the jug and emptied it onto the white dust of the roof. This is Elric's thin blood. This is how it will flow away. But again, Summerall was not listening. She was trying to remember her albino lover and the few sweet days they had spent together since they were children. Erkun hurled the empty jug at the girl's head, but she was adept at dodging him. And as she dodged, she murmured her standard response to all his attacks and insults. Thank you, Demon Lord, she said. Thank you, Demon Lord. Erkun laughed. Aye, Demon Lord. Your folk are right to call me that, for I rule more demons than I rule men. My power increases every day. The Oinish girl hurried away to fetch more wine, for she knew he would be calling for it in a moment. Erkun crossed the roof to stare through the slats and the fence at the proof of his power. But as he looked upon the ships, he heard sounds of confusion from the other side of the roof. Could the Yurits and the Oinish be fighting amongst themselves? Where were the Imrurian centurions? Where was Captain Valharic? He almost ran across the roof, passing Simaril, who appeared to be sleeping, and peered down into the streets. Fire? he murmured. Fire? It was true that the streets appeared to be on fire, and yet it was not an ordinary fire. Balls of fire seemed to drift about, igniting rush-thatched roofs, doors, anything that would easily burn, as an invading army might put a village to the torch. Erkun scowled, thinking at first that he had been careless and some spell of his had turned against him. But then he looked over the burning houses at the river, and he saw a strange ship sailing there, a ship of great grace and beauty, that somehow seemed more a creation of nature than of man and he knew they were under attack. But who would attack Dozkam? There was no loot worth the effort, and it could not be Imrerians. It could not be Elric. It must not be Elric, he growled. The mirror! It must be turned upon the invaders! And upon yourself, brother? Simmeril had risen unsteadily and leaned upon the table. She was smiling. You were too confident, Urkun. Elric comes. Elric, nonsense, merely a few barbarian raiders from the interior. Once they are in the centre of the city, we shall be able to use the mirror of memory upon them. He ran to the trapdoor, which led down into his house. Captain Valharic, Valharic, where are you? Valharic appeared in the room below. He was sweating. There was a blade in his gloved hand, though he did not seem to have been in any fighting as yet. Make the mirror ready, Valharic, and turn it upon the attackers. But my lord... We might hurry, do as I say. We'll soon have these barbarians added to our own strength along with their ships. Barbarians, my lord. Can barbarians command the fire elementals? These things we fight are flame spirits. They cannot be slain any more than fire itself can be slain. Well, fire can be slain by water, Prince Erkun reminded his lieutenant. By water, Captain Valharic, have you forgotten? 
But Prince Erkun, we have tried to quench the buckets, the spirits with water, and the water will not move from our buckets. Some powerful sorcerer commands the invaders. He has the aid of the spirits of fire and water. You are mad, Captain Valharic, said Erkun firmly. Mad. Prepare the mirror and let us have no more of these stupidities. Valharic wetted his dry lips. Aye, my lord. He bowed his head and went to do his master's bidding. Again Erkun went to the fence and looked through. There were men in the streets now, fighting his own warriors, but smoke obscured his view. He could not make out the identities of any of the invaders. Enjoy your petty victory, Erkun chuckled, for soon the mirror will take away your minds, and you will become my slaves. It is Elric, said Simmeril quietly. She smiled. Elric comes to take vengeance on you, brother. Erkun sniggered. Thank you, thank you. Well, should that be the case, he'll find me gone, for I still have a means of evading him, and he'll find you in a condition which will not please him, though it will cause him considerable anguish. But it is not Elric. It is some crude shaman from the steps to the east of here. He will soon be in my power. Simmeril too was peering through the fence. Elric, she said, I can see his helm. What? Akun pushed her aside. And there in the streets, Imrerian fought Imrerian. There was no longer any doubt of that. Irkun's men, Imrian, Oinish, and Yudit, were being pushed back, and at the head of the attacking Imrerians could be seen a black dragon helm, such as only one Malnibanean wore. It was Elric's helm, and Elric's sword that had once belonged to Earl Albuk of Malador rose and fell, and was bright with blood which glistened in the morning sunshine. For a moment, Erkun was overwhelmed with despair. He groaned, Elric, Elric, Elric! Oh, how can we can continue to underestimate each other? What curse is on us? Simmeril had flung back her head and her face had come to life again. I said that he would come, brother. Erkun whirled on her. Aye, he has come, and the mirror will rob him of his brain and he will turn into my slave, believing anything I care to put in his skull. This is even sweeter than I had planned, sister. He looked up and then flung his arm across his eyes as he realised what he had done. Quickly, below, into the house, the mirror begins to turn. There came a great creaking of gears and pulleys and chains as the terrible mirror of memory began to focus on the streets below. It will be only a little while before Elric has added himself and his men to my strength. What a splendid irony. Erkun hurried his sister down the steps, leading from the roof, and he closed the trapdoor behind him. Elric himself will help in the attack on Imria. He will destroy his own kind. He will oust himself from the ruby throne. Do you not think that Elric has anticipated the threat of the mirror of memory, brother? Simmeril said with relish. Anticipate it, aye, but resist it. He cannot. He must see to fight. He must either be cut down or open his eyes. No man with eyes can be safe from the power of the mirror. He glanced about the crudely furnished room. Where is Valharic? Where is the cur? Valharic came running in. The mirror is being turned, my lord, but it will affect our own men too, I fear. We then cease to fear. What if our own men are drawn under its influence? We can soon feed what they need to know back into their brains. At the same time as we feed our defeated foes, you are too nervous, Captain. But Elric leads them. 
and Elric's eyes are eyes, though they look like crimson stones. He will fare no better than his men. In the streets around Prince Erkun's house, Elric, Divim Tvar and the Imrurians pushed on, forcing back their demoralised opponents. The attackers had lost barely a man, whereas many Oinish and Urits lay dead in the streets, besides a few of their renegade Imrurian commanders. The flame elementals whom Elric had summoned with some effort were beginning to disperse, for it cost them dear to spend so much time entirely within Elric's plane. But the necessary advantage had been gained, and there was now little question of whom would win as a hundred or more houses blazed throughout the city, igniting others and requiring attention from the defenders lest the whole squalid place burn down about their ears. In the harbour, too, ships were burning. Divim Tvar was the first to notice the mirror beginning to swing into focus on the streets. He pointed a warning finger and then turned, blowing on his war horn and ordering forward the troops who, up till now, had played no part in the fighting. Now you must lead us, he cried, and he lowered his helm over his face. The eye holes of the helm had been blocked so that he could not see through them. Slowly Elric lowered his own helm until he was in darkness. The sound of fighting continued, however, as the veterans who had sailed with them from Malnibane set to work in their place, and the other troops fell back. The leading Amrurians had not blocked their eye holes. Elric prayed that the scheme would work. Urkun peeked cautiously through a chink in the heavy curtain, said querulously, Valheric, they fight on, why is that? Is not the mirror focused? It should be, my lord. Then see for yourself. The Amrurians continue to forge through our defenders, and our men are beginning to come under the influence of the mirror. What's wrong, Valharic? What is wrong? Valharic drew air between his teeth, and there was a certain admiration in his expression as he looked upon the fighting Amrurians. They are blind, he said. They fight by sound and touch and smell. They are blind, Lord Emperor, and they lead Elric and his men whose helms are so designed that they can see nothing. Blind? Elric spoke almost pathetically, refusing to understand. Blind? Aye, blind warriors, men wounded in earlier wars, but good fighters nonetheless. That is how Elric defeats the Murrah, our lord. No, 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 Urkun beat heavily on his captain's back, and the man shrank away. Elric is not cunning. Some powerful demon gives him these ideas. Well, perhaps, my lord... But are there demons more powerful than those who have aided you? No, said Urkun, there are none, that I could summon some of them now. But I have expended my powers in opening the shade gate. I should have anticipated. I could not anticipate. Oh, Elric, I shall yet destroy you when the rune blades are mine. And then Urkun frowned. But how could he have been prepared? What demon? Unless he summoned Ariok himself. But he has not the power to summon Ariok. I could not summon him. And then, as if in reply, Urkun heard Elric's battle song sounding from the nearby streets, and that song answered the question, Ariok! Ariok! Blood and souls for my lord Ariok! Well then I must have the rune blades. I must pass through the shade gate. There I still have allies supernatural allies who shall deal easily with Elric if need be. But I need time. 
Raccoon mumbled to himself as he paced about the room. Valhara continued to watch the fighting. They come closer, said the captain. Simmeral smiled. Closer, Urkun. Who is the fool now, Elric or you? Be still. I think... Urkun fingered his lips. Then a light came into his eye and he looked cunningly at Simmeral for a second before turning his attention to Captain Valharic. Valharic, you must destroy the mirror of memory. Destroy it? But it is our only weapon, my lord. Exactly, but is it not useless now? I will destroy it and it will serve us again. Irakun flicked a long finger in the direction of the door. Go destroy the mirror. But Prince Irakun, Emperor, I mean, will that not have the effect of robbing us of our only weapon? Do as I say, Valharic, or perish. But how shall I destroy it, my lord? Your sword. You must climb the column behind the face of the mirror. Then, without looking into the mirror itself, you must swing your sword against it and smash it. It will break easily. You know the precautions I have had to take to make sure that it was not harmed. Is that all I must do? Aye, and then you are free from my service. You may escape or do whatever else you wish to do. Do we not sail against Malnibane? Of course not. I've devised another method of taking the Dragon Isle. Valharic shrugged. His expression showed that he had never really believed Urkun's assurances. But what else had he to do but follow Urkun when fearful torture awaited him at Elric's hands? With shoulders bowed, the captain slunk away to do his prince's work. And now, Simmeral, Urkun grinned like a ferret as he reached out to grab his sister's soft shoulders. Now to prepare you for your lover, Elric. One of the blind warriors cried, They no longer resist us, my lord. They are limp and allow themselves to be cut down where they stand. Why is this? The mirror has robbed them of their memories, Elric called, turning his own blind head towards the sound of the warrior's voice. You can lead us into a building now where, with luck, we shall not glimpse the mirror. At last they stood within what appeared to Elric, as he lifted his helm, to be a warehouse of some kind. Luckily it was large enough to hold their entire force, and when they were all inside, Elric had the doors shut while they debated their next action. We should find Irkun, Divantvar said. Let us interrogate one of those warriors. There will be little point in that, my friend, Elric reminded him. Their minds are gone. They'll remember nothing at all. They do not at present remember even what they are, let alone who. Go to the shutters yonder where the mirror's influence cannot reach, and see if you can see the building most likely to be occupied by my cousin. Divantvar crossed swiftly to the shutters and looked cautiously out. Aye, there's a building larger than the rest, and I see some movement within, as if the surviving warriors were regrouping. It's likely that's Urkun's stronghold. It should be easily taken. Elric joined him. Aye, I agree with you. We'll find Urkun there, but we must hurry lest he decides to slay Simmeral. We must work out the best means of reaching the place and instruct our blind warriors as to how many streets, how many houses and so forth we must pass. What is that strange sound? One of the blind warriors raised his head. Like the distant ringing of a gong. I hear it too, said another blind man. And now Elric heard it, a sinister noise. It came from the air above them. It shivered through the atmosphere. The mirror. Divantvar looked up. Has the mirror some property we did not anticipate? Possibly. 
Elric tried to remember what Arioch had told him, but Arioch had been vague. He had said nothing of this dreadful, mighty sound, this shattering clangor as if... He's breaking the mirror, he said. But why? There was something more now, something brushing at his brain, as if the sound were itself sentient. Perhaps Urkun is dead and his magic dies with him, Divim Tvar began, and then he broke off with a groan. The noise was louder, more intense, bringing sharp pain to his ears. And now Elric knew. He blocked his ears with his gauntleted hands. The memories in the mirror, they were flooding into his mind. The mirror had been smashed and was releasing all the memories it had stolen over the centuries. The aeons, perhaps. Many of these memories were not mortal. Many were the memories of beasts and intelligent creatures which had existed even before Malnibane, and the memories warred for a place in Elric's skull, in the skulls of all the Amurians, in the poor, tortured skulls of the men outside whose pitiful screams could be heard rising from the streets, and in the skull of Captain Valharic, the turncoat, as he lost his footing on the great column and fell with the shards from the mirror to the ground far below. But Elric did not hear Captain Valharic scream, and he did not hear Valharic's body crash first to a rooftop and then into a street where it lay all broken beneath the broken mirror. Elric lay upon the stone floor of the warehouse as he writhed, as his comrades writhed, trying to clear his head of a million memories that were not his own, of loves, hatreds, strange experiences and ordinary experiences, wars and journeys, of the faces of relatives who were not his relatives, men, women and children, animals, of ships and cities, fights, lovemaking, fears and desires, and the memories fought each other for possession of his crowded skull, threatening to drive out his own memories and thus his own character from his head. And as Elric writhed upon the ground, clutching at his ears, he spoke a word over and over again in an effort to cling to his own identity. Elric! Elric, Elric. Gradually, by an effort which he had experienced only once before, when he had summoned Ariok to the plane of the earth, he managed to extinguish all those alien memories and assert his own until, shaken and feeble, he lowered his hands from his ears and no longer shouted his own name. Then he stood up and looked about him. More than two-thirds of his men were dead, blind or otherwise. The big bosun was dead, his eyes wide and staring, his lips frozen in a scream, his right eye socket raw and bleeding from where he had tried to drag his eye from it. All the corpses lay in unnatural positions, all had their eyes open, if they had eyes, and many bore the marks of self-mutilation, while others had vomited and others dashed their brains against the wall. Divim Tvar was alive, but curled up in a corner, mumbling to himself, and Elric thought he must be mad. Some of the other survivors were indeed mad, but they were quiet, they afforded no danger. Only five, including Elric, seemed to have resisted the alien memories and retained their own sanity. It seemed to Elric as he stumbled from corpse to corpse that most of the men had had their hearts fail. Divim Tvar, Elric put his hands on his friend's shoulder. Divim Tvar. Divim Tvar took his head from his arm and looked into Elric's eyes. 
In Divim Tvar's own eyes, there was the experience of a score of millennia, and there was irony there too. <laughs> I live, Elric. Few of us live now. A little later, they left the warehouse, no longer needing to fear the mirror, and found that all the streets were full of the dead who had received the mirror's memories. Stiff bodies reached out hands to help. Dead lips formed silent pleas. Elric tried not to look at them as he pressed through them, but his desire for vengeance upon his cousin was even stronger now. They reached the house. The door was open and the ground floor was crammed with corpses. There was no sign of Prince Urkun. Elric and Divim Tvar led the few Emerarians who were still sane up the steps, past more imploring corpses, until they reached the top floor of the house and here they found Cimmeril. She was lying upon a couch, and she was naked. There were runes painted on her flesh, and the runes were, in themselves, obscene. Her eyelids were heavy, and she did not at first recognise them. Elric rushed to her side and cradled her body in his arms. The body was oddly cold. He makes me sleep, said Cimmeril. A sorceress sleep from which only he can wake me. She gave a great yawn. I've stayed awake this long by the effort of will, for Elric comes. Elric is here, said her lover softly. I am Elric, Cimmeril. Elric? She relaxed in his arms. You must find her, Coon, for only he can wake me. Where is he gone? Elric's face had hardened. His crimson eyes were fierce. Where? To find the two black swords, the rune swords of our ancestors. Mournblade. And Stormbringer, said Elric grimly. These swords are cursed. But where has he gone, Cimmeril? How has he escaped us? Through the shade gate he conjured it. He made the most fearful pacts with demons to go through. The other room. And now Cimmeril slept but there seemed to be a certain peace on her face. Elric watched as Divintvar crossed the room, sword in hand, and flung the door open. A dreadful stench came from the next room, which was in darkness, and something flickered on the far side. Aye, that's sorcery right enough, said Elric, and Urkun has thwarted me. He conjured the shade gate and passed through it into some netherworld. Which one I'll never know, for there is infinity of them. Oh, Ariok, I would give much to follow my cousin. Well then, follow him you shall, said a sweet, sardonic voice in Elric's head. At first the albino thought it was a vestige of a memory still fighting for possession of his head. But then he knew that Ariok spoke to him. Dismiss your followers, that I may speak with thee, said Ariok. Elric hesitated. He wished to be alone, but not with Ariok. He wished to be with Cimmeril, for Cimmeril was making him weep. Tears already flowed from his crimson eyes. What I have to say could result in Cimmeril being restored to her normal state, said the voice. And moreover, it will help you defeat Urkun and be revenged upon him. Indeed, it could make you the most powerful mortal that there has ever been. Elric looked up at Divim Tvar. 
Would you and your men leave me alone for a few moments? Of course. Divantvar led his men away and shut the door behind him. Ariok stood leaning against the same door. Again he had assumed the shape and poise of a handsome youth. His smile was friendly and open, and only the ancient eyes belied his appearance. It's time for you to seek the black swords yourself, Alric, said Ariok, lest Urkun reach them first. I warn you of this. With the rune blades, Urkun will be so powerful he will be able to destroy half the world without thinking of it. That is why your cousin risks the dangers of the world beyond the Shade Gate. If Urkun possesses those swords before you find them, it will mean the end of you, of Sumeril, of the Young Kingdoms, and quite possibly the destruction of Malnimide too. I will help you enter the Netherworld to seek for the Twin Rune Swords. Elric said musingly, I have often been warned of the dangers of seeking the swords, and the worst dangers of owning them. I think I must consider another plan, my lord Ariok. But there is no other plan. Urkun desires the swords if you do not. With Mournblade in one hand and Stormbringer in the other, he will be invincible, for the swords give their user power. Immense power. Ariok paused. You must do as I say. It is to your advantage. And to yours, lord Ariok? Aye, to mine. I am not entirely selfless. Arik shook his head. I'm confused. There has been too much of the supernatural about this affair. I suspect the gods of manipulating us. The gods serve only those who are willing to serve them, and the gods serve destiny too. I like it not. To stop Urkun is one thing. To assume his ambitions and take the swords myself, that is another thing. It is your destiny. Or cannot I change my destiny? Arik shook his head. No more than can I. Alric stroked sleeping Simmeril's hair. I love her. She is all I desire. You shall not wake her if Urkun finds the blades before you do. And how shall I find the blades? I enter the Shade Gate. I have kept it open, though Urkun thinks it closed. And then you must seek the tunnel under the marsh, which leads to the Pulsing Cavern. In that chamber the rune swords are kept. They have been kept there ever since your ancestors relinquished them. And why were they relinquished? Were your ancestors lacked courage? Courage to face what? Themselves. You are cryptic, my lord Arioch. Well, that is the way of the lords of the higher worlds. Hurry, even I cannot keep the shade gate open long. Oh, very well, I will go, and Ariok vanished immediately. Elric called in a hoarse, cracking voice for Divimtvar. Divimtvar entered at once. Elric, what has happened in here? Is it Simmeril? You look. I am going to follow Urkun alone, Divimtvar. You must make your way back to Malnibane with those of your men who remain. Take Simmeril with you. If I do not return in reasonable time, you must declare her empress. If she still sleeps, then you must rule as regent until she wakes. Divimtvar said softly, Do you know what you do, Alric? Alric shook his head. No, Divimtvar, I do not. He got to his feet and 
staggered towards the other room where the shade gate waited for him.